So here's the big idea. I want to suggest to you that there are three rooms that Christians can live in, but only one is healthy. I've got two doors behind me, one is open. We're going to think about that room over there today, that room over there, and the room where we should healthily now live. But the danger of living in different rooms. Now, Barry said he couldn't work out what that is. That's a door handle, okay? Just, that's kind of a thing to keep your attention. That reading we had from Romans 6 kind of talks about the three rooms, but there's one verse that captures it really, really well. Have a look at this verse from Philippians chapter 1. Paul says this, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Can you see what he's got there? There's stuff which is no longer true. Stuff which is behind. There's stuff which is not yet true. What is ahead? Although it gives him the direction of travel. And there is the daily decision-making that he makes here and now to make sense of his life. I press on towards the goal. So I'm calling those three rooms the no longer room, the not yet room, and the now room. And today, I want to think about the no longer room. What happens as a Christian if you live your life in the no longer room? As if stuff which isn't true about you anymore is still functioning as true for you in your daily life. Well, let's stand back and have a little bit of a think. If you ask an anthropologist, they will tell you that there are broadly three human societies, three kinds of societies. There are shame or honor societies. You, you keep your place by showing appropriate respect, and if you do something wrong, you pay a price with your own honor. You have shamed yourself, your family, your working culture, your culture, your town, your country, whatever it happens to be. And you experience shame because you have done something wrong. There are fear cultures where you keep your place because you know that if you don't do what's expected of you, you will pay a price. There will be retribution. If you watch the Godfather movies, you have seen a fear culture working perfectly. Everything's smooth unless you, break, you, you transgress in some way. And then you're punished. Or there are guilt societies. And guilt societies are fine. There is a, a well-respected well set of laws, rules. You know what to do. But if you break those rules, you are guilty. You find yourself in court. You are punished. And there is a firm sense of the rule of law. Fear cultures, shame cultures, guilt cultures. Now, they bleed into one another. You will know that. And you maybe, you recognize maybe one of those from uh, the culture you grew up in. Maybe your, your home, your family was there. But between the three of them, they're pretty universal. Now, I find them really interesting. I find them really interesting because that's exactly where the Bible starts. They're universal truths. Have a look at this from uh, Genesis chapter 3. 
Then the man and his wife, that's Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was offended because I, I, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now you'll know the setup. You will know what's happened. Uh, God has created a garden. He's created people in the garden. He's given them everything they can enjoy. One one rule: don't eat the tree, the fruit from that tree. They have done that. But look at the consequences. Look at what happens in turn. First of all, there is fear. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. It's a fear culture. Then there's shame. I heard you in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked. And there's guilt as well. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? All three, fear, shame, and guilt, are right there at the beginning of our Bible story. I find that absolutely fascinating. Now, I said that those are universal truths, those three things, fear, guilt, and shame. Those three kinds of cultures run everything. There are a couple of exceptions. The first is, weirdly, the kind of moment that we live in now, where the message is, despite what human history and human culture has shown, the message seems to be, deny those three feelings. Live fear-free, live guilt-free, live shame-free, forgive yourself, be brave, and be yourself. That is very, very common. The problem is, and again, this is universal across human history, human cultures, the problem is those feelings are common to everybody. You can't just wish them away. You know you can't just wish away your feelings, can you? Have you ever tried? You can't wish them away, can you? Those feelings are real. And what Genesis 3 tells us is that those feelings are real because the, the issue they point to is real. If you're out with the kids at the seaside and they're playing with a beach ball, they, they try to push this, the ball under the, under the water. And you know what happens. You can keep it there for a bit between your legs, can't you? But it just pops up. It inevitably does it. So it is with fear, guilt, and shame. You can try to push them down, but they will pop up. Those three things are common to everybody. And to pretend they don't exist, try to wish them away, it's, it's, putting, it's putting a sticking plaster on an open wound. It won't fix it. It won't fix it. I said there were two options. And the first is the cultural moment we live in. What's the second exception? It ought to be us. It ought to be Christians. Because as you know, if you know your Bible, the death of Jesus explicitly tackles all three. Guilt and fear and shame. Now, that sounds glib to 21st century Christians. Actually, what we'll see as we, as we have a look at what the Bible says, it was a problem for first century Christians. It's been a problem for 2,000 years. How do we live today as Christians? How do we make sure that we don't live in the no longer room? 
How do we make sure that what happened in the past is dealt with by Jesus? Not because we close our eyes and wish it not to be true, but because we actually know that Jesus has solved it. So let's have a think about fear. The first one. How did they handle it in the Old Testament? Well, fear was handled by worrying about punishment. There were a whole system of laws. And not only were there laws, they actually constructed a second and third tier of them to make sure they wouldn't get close to breaking the law. If you've seen Jesus interact with some of the law keepers of his day, you will know that they had invented a whole system of sort of trip wires around the law to make sure that they wouldn't come close to breaking the law. They lived in permanent fear of being lawbreakers. And what Jesus does throughout his life is that he permanently keeps all of God's law. He's the one person who lives without fear because he knows his life with God is utterly uninterrupted by any disobedience. He is perfect. And when he dies in our place, he deals with that issue of the laws and, all, and the punishment that flows from them. And the result is, for anybody who trusts in him, we too are freed from that fear. Here is Romans 6, from the, uh, from the a verse that David read to us just now. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Christians don't have to fear breaking God's laws, because all that we do to break God's laws has been dealt with by Jesus. And fear goes. We have grace as our master. Or take shame. How did the people in the Old Testament handle shame? Well, they handled it by distance. You'll remember as somebody, I mean, we've, we've just come through or are coming through a pandemic. We know what it's like to keep our distance from people who are unwell or to do it ourselves. You will know that in the Old Testament, there's a whole series of ways that people were kept distant because of, uh, of the pollution that came from them. Now, when Jesus dies, he deliberately breaks down those distances and brings us back close to God. No longer at one remove or two removes, we are brought right back into the presence of God. The temple court had outside areas, inside areas, inner rings, and then further inner rooms. Jesus takes us by the hand and takes us right back into the heart of knowing God. Here is Galatians. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now we'll come back to that because that's pointing us to the future, isn't it? But it's saying you have an intimate relationship with God, with nothing coming between. More than that, it actually affects our relationships with each other. You are no longer foreigners and strangers. Note the plurals this time from Ephesians 2. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. It's not just about us individually, it's about us together. If you remember back in Genesis 3, the man's answer to God's question, did you eat of the fruit I commanded you not to eat? Do you remember what he says? 
the woman. That's his answer, the woman. And then the second beat is, who you gave me. Now, in those words, that defines our human social dilemma. It cuts us off from God and it cuts us off from one another. That's basically what's gone wrong. We're cut off from God and cut off from one another. And here is the answer. We are individually and together part of a new people who belong to God as his children. We are part of a family. What about the third problem, guilt? Well, in the Old Testament, guilt was handled. How do you, what do you do when you break God's law? The sacrifices. So to, to match the, the, the laws were carefully prescribed sacrifices that you would just keep on offering. You could never offer a big enough sacrifice to do away with all your sin, and there were some sins for which there were no sacrifices at all. Jesus' death, infinite in its scope, means that that is all dealt with. There is no further, well, let's put it this way, Hebrews, 1, Hebrews 10. Where these things have been forgiven, and he's talking about breaking God's law, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. We are no longer under sin. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer needing to do sacrifices. No longer are those things true. Instead of a distance, we have family. Instead of sacrifice, we have forgiveness. Instead of legalism, we have freedom. And those three big issues of guilt and fear and shame are no longer true for you, Christian. They're no longer true. So why do we live as if they still are? I remember meeting very mature Christian guy, who almost from the very first sentence led off with the phrase, you should know I've had an affair. Now I could understand if I was talking to a brand new Christian. Brand new Christians often struggle with the fact that they've, they've started a new life with Jesus and they're surprised that they, they still sin. They're surprised that they're still drawn to do things that they used to be drawn to. But for a mature Christian talking about something that was 20 years ago. Or someone who says, I'm just an angry person, I can't help it. Why do we let our sin define us? Why do we live our Christian life in the no longer room? Christian, if you live with that door open, if you live in the no longer room, you will never live your life as God intended. You will never know the power and work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You will never know change because you'll be weighed down by burdens that Jesus has already said he's going to carry for you. Take that guy who said, you should know I've had an affair. He's a Christian. He and his wife have worked that through together. He's a mature Christian guy. And I want to say this carefully, but guilt and fear and shame should no longer apply to him if he's genuinely living in the now room. 
The relationship with God, the relationship with other people, no longer applies. The pollution, the penalty, the punishment have all been dealt with by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, hear me. I'm not saying ignore it. There's a real problem in that marriage. I'm not saying pretend that it never happened. I'm not saying uh, let the husband get away with blue murder. I'm not saying anything like that at all. But I'm saying for a, for a repentant Christian who's embraced the cross... That is in the no longer room. That no longer controls your destiny. It no longer describes and defines you. So Christian, are you still living in that room? Are you still living as if that door is open, a crack? I want to invite you to close it with me and say, what happened to me in the past no longer defines me. I was under sin as my master, but no longer. I was polluted by sin, but no longer. I was bound up in chains that stopped me being free, but no longer. I was isolated from God and his people, but no longer. I know freedom and forgiveness and family. Today's communion, can I invite you, whether you're coming up or whether you're sitting in your seat, just to lay those burdens at the foot of the cross. To know that whatever it is that's in your past, it no longer is true about you. It no longer defines you. And to step into your new Christian life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the way the death and resurrection of Jesus has solved these really deep problems, universal problems of fear and shame and guilt. And we know that with our heads, but our hearts have a hard time catching up. And we pray that this morning that we will know that those things in the past are no longer defining us. And please would you help us to step out of that room and to know that we follow you freely, forgiven as a family. Amen.